Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading today comes from Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. Some give freely, yet grow all the richer. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading today is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus as told in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick at his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said then, Father, I beg you to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment." Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. In Mary Oliver's poem, Lead, she offers us an invitation to heartbreak, so to speak, not for the sake of suffering, but so that we might open ourselves to a deeper connection and engagement with God's hurting world and become more responsive. The poem begins, Here is a story to break your heart, and concludes, I tell you this to break your heart by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. So in response to today's gospel reading, I ask us to see a story that could break our hearts if we're willing. Many interpreters suggest this parable is about a reversal of fortunes in the afterlife. It does seem to seal Jesus' proclamation in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, 
for you have received your consolation. If it were that simple, I might say something like, rich people, invest in a good set of teeth now because you're going to need them for gnashing in the afterlife. (laughs) And then I imagine I'd probably sit down and never be invited back into a pulpit ever again. (laughs) But fortunately, I believe there is a lot more going on in this story which also means that the parable is not just a promise of pie in the sky for people who are hungry now. The initial audience would have recognized that the purple cloth of the rich man's clothes was among the most expensive fabrics available at that time. And his linen was probably the same material that the book of Exodus says that the high priests wore. Furthermore, the word usually translated as feasting also means rejoicing. And we find it in Deuteronomy, where Moses calls all the people to observe the festival of weeks before the Lord, along with the strangers and orphans and widows in their midst. But in this story, the rich man's dressing in fine clothes and joyful feasting are not used for special occasions to glorify God with those outside of his immediate social circle. Instead, they're used to cozy up to the dinner table on a daily basis. Jesus said in the parable just before this one, you cannot serve God and mammon. And this man seems to have made his choice. Jewish listeners in Jesus' audience, including the Pharisees, would have been well acquainted with repeated encouragements in the Torah and the writings of the prophets to care for the poor. They would also have known about God's particular concern for the poor, which we pick up on here with Father Abraham's nurturing Lazarus and in the fact that Lazarus is the only character in all of Jesus' parables who has a name. That the rich man and Lazarus' fates were reversed in the afterlife probably wouldn't have shocked Jesus' hearers. Still, people have speculated for centuries that maybe Lazarus must have been particularly righteous. Or maybe the rich man was guilty of misdeeds that have been left out of this narrative. And maybe they want to avoid the pitfalls of glamorizing poverty or of condemning the wealthy unconditionally, rightfully so. And yet we can't know any more about these characters than the text tells us. And it tells us just enough to recognize that the problem is not that the man is wealthy, or even what the rich man did, but rather what he refused to do. He was aware of both Torah's commandments and Lazarus's condition, as his plea to Father Abraham makes clear. He had the power, the privilege, and the opportunity to care for his neighbor, Lazarus. Over and over again in life, he chose not to. And then, even in the afterlife, he expresses no conviction, and he still views Lazarus as beneath him. The parable makes clear that the problem isn't ignorance, but rather apathy or hardness of heart. So how is this challenging first-century story our story? In part, that depends on with whom we identify. The rich man's displays of wealth would have seemed to Jesus' audience so audacious that they probably would not have claimed him as one of their own. And neither, perhaps, can most of us. We might call his way of life something like conspicuous consumption. I'm reminded of a chapter in NPR host Peter Sagel's Book of Vice, where he catalogs, among some of today's most ostentatious displays of wealth, a 24-karat gold toilet seat on a private jet. 
But can we easily identify with Lazarus either? Financial stressors aside, I have never experienced life-threatening poverty. So maybe as we eavesdrop on Jesus' story, we begin to feel like those siblings who still have the opportunity to accept God's invitation to life by attending to the needs of their neighbors. This story is about a reversal of fates, but I believe it's also about how our well-being is intertwined with that of every neighbor, regardless of social divisions that can start as gates but can become permanent barriers if we let them. In one of our summer reads, The Book of Joy, Douglas Abrams writes, quote, Generosity is so important in all the world's religions because it no doubt expresses a fundamental aspect of our independence or interdependence and our need for one another, end quote. This view of generosity moves us to realize that inequities that cause suffering actually harm us all, and it encourages us to give out of a sense of mutual interest that's the opposite of selfishness. By relating the rich man's hardness of heart and unwillingness to change, today's parable gives us a chance to re-examine our priorities and to let God rearrange our hearts so that we might sense our deep connection with people who are experiencing one form of poverty or another. So here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing? A single mother has worked for a major retailer for several years, and let's suppose she finally began earning the company's increased minimum wage of $9 per hour. According to Fortune Magazine's calculation, in order to earn the same amount that the CEO of the company earned in just his first year on the job, she would have to work 2.8 million hours without stopping. As it is, she is consistently scheduled just under full-time and therefore doesn't qualify for benefits. Here's a story to break your heart. Are you willing? Last week at a training event, I was exploring Pittsburgh on foot when a man approached asking for money. I could have engaged him in conversation. I could have smiled. I could have provided him with a warm meal. But instead, I quickened my pace and I averted my eyes, partially because of my vulnerability as a female-embodied person, but also because I'm sometimes desensitized to poverty when it interrupts my day with an opportunity to practice compassion. These stories show that even if our parable's message is clear enough, discerning how to respond faithfully is challenging. Sustainable solutions for real-life needs don't seem quite as obvious as they do in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it can be hard not to lose heart. But Abrams reminds us in the Book of Joy that compassion and generosity are at the very core of our humanity, adding purpose and joy to our lives. He and his collaborators, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, discuss different kinds of generosity, including a graciousness of spirit that allows us to grasp lightly all of our gifts so that they may contribute to the greater good. Tutu explains that when we sit loosely in relations to all of our wealth and all of our status, then we can be generous because we have really been made a steward of all these possessions and these positions. We don't hold on to them for dear life. So for those of us who occupy various spaces of privilege within our society, maybe this parable tells us that our truest joy is in coming alongside people who experience poverty with the relational 
and material support that they need to support themselves and their children. Our joy is in re-examining our complicities in systemic inequities that limit life. And our joy is in working with them toward re-envisioning economic and other systems to move us toward mutual flourishing. L.A. Lakers star LeBron James recently took heartening steps in just that direction. When he was a child, his mother's long work hours as a single mother and the distance they lived from his public school made even getting to class a challenge. In fact, he missed 83 days of school in just the fourth grade alone. So with a heart open to kids facing similar difficulties and an eye toward re-envisioning the public education system and disrupting cycles of poverty, James has partnered with school officials in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, to open a public non-charter school like none other. Staff at the I Promise School dedicate themselves not only to promote children's education, but also to address the factors that might inhibit that education. The year-round school combines a rigorous education in the STEM fields with a trauma-informed care program, job services for family members, a GED program, a food pantry, housing assistance if needed, and a bicycle and a computer for each student. I was inspired by James's words at the school's opening. These kids are our future, and they have dreams that are bigger and greater than the city of Akron, than the state of Ohio, than the United States of America, he said. His generosity seems to stem from an awareness of our interconnectedness, like the Book of Joy in our parables relates. Friends, the good news is that we are all invited by God here and now into a generous way of life. And the question is not whether we can close the dehumanizing gap between the obscenely rich and those made destitute, or even whether we can end poverty once and for all in all its dimensions, but whether we want to and whether we're willing to try. Desmond Tutu encourages us, quote, hey, remember you're not alone and you don't need to finish the work. It takes time, but we're learning, growing, and becoming the people we want to be. End quote. Jesus welcomes us to live into deep connections with God and one another that give our lives meaning and joy, both now and in the life to come. And we have everything that we need to respond with love and generosity to the calls of Moses, the prophets, and Jesus as they echo in the stories of those around us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do so together, and God's grace is sufficient to cover our failings. Are we willing to let our hearts break open and never close again to the rest of the world? Are we learning, growing, and becoming the people we want to be? May our lives say that we are. Amen. Let us pray. Until we make our way to you, O God, until the life to come, we have our life now. As we have tried to reflect your generosity in these offerings, even as your use of them in this church and community and world reflects your wise ways of caring for us all, may these gifts please you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And we continue on in a spirit of prayer. Please pray with me. God who claims us, calls us, fills us, and uses us. 
In the quiet of these moments, we know that you see everything that is within us. Our appreciation for another day, for family and friends, for rest, for the growth of our gardens, those with ripe tomatoes and knobby squash and sweet corn, but also the growth of life's gardens that we tenderly cultivate, the gardens of home and hearth, family and friends, vocation and vacation. Amidst all that is good, you know our heaviest burdens, our cherished dreams, and our lingering regrets. You are acquainted with all our ways, the judgmental thoughts we cannot overcome, the temptations that are too close, our fear of failure when opportunities are presented to us, our hunger for prosperity and a safety net, even while we carry genuine compassion for those with nothing. When sorrow comes in the seasons of loss, you sit with us in sadness, your grace catching us from a fall into despair. We wonder how it is that you know us so well and love us so fully and unconditionally. Though we know well the routine and the common journey of our lives, even today we perceive your living, active word shaping us and setting us free from the predictable. Receive the fullness of our gratitude, we pray, and receive our imperfect, authentic expressions of it today. In the way we measure out this day and our week ahead, in the choices we make, the words we speak, and the ones we choose to withhold, the people we touch and the laughter we share. See us, we pray, put away pettiness. Leave behind negativity. Release our control for everything. We love you and we want our love for you to be genuine, to take on skin and be known by those around us. We do recognize your faithful goodness and extraordinary mercy, and so we cling to it. But even then, our faith seizes up at times, retreats, even at the bitter reality of suffering and hunger and injustice and depression. Where one combat operation ends, another seems to worsen. Where one natural disaster is more manageable, another becomes more horrific in its effects than another. Where one person's cancer enters remission, we hear of another we love who is coping with the diagnosis. We attend a wedding while we grieve a divorce. We welcome new babies in our families and communities even as we gather to celebrate the eternal life given for ones we have loved. Forgive our fickle trust. Bring a peaceful path for us to take in this back and forth of a complicated world. Bring healing, we are bold to pray. Heal, heal whatever in us that does not help your children to have food and clean water and health and opportunity. Heal the spirit in us that gets stuck or is downsized in the give and take of the world. Come in power to the places most desperate for divine intervention, places of little help or hope but much disease and mass tragedy. Come with strength to those engaged in challenges that seem overwhelming. Come with perspective for those for whom little frustrations have sapped their appreciation for the wonders of your world and the gifts of life shared together. Show us how to help you. Do not let us flag in a firm commitment to be your partners in giving. Gracious God, you speak in a prayer that is full of words. 
we need your sacred word for us. Open a way to us that we might make time in this week, especially to listen just for you. Gather all these prayers, our silent prayers, and the prayers yet unknown to us into your loving heart as we together say your sacred words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.